Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are diving into a study of the 12 Steps in 12 Traditions book. And today we are on step one, so we're just getting started. It's a great day because we get to discuss some things that, you know, kind of fly in the face of what you hear in meetings a lot of times. This book, the 12 and 12, in some places in the country is the thing that comes ahead of the big book. And in other places in the country, it's this odd second book, sort of the unimportant part of the step work. And what I want to suggest to you is this is the meat on the bones. The big book is in a lot of ways full of all the information you need to get started. However, as we get a stronger spiritual life, these steps, the suggestions in the 12 steps and 12 traditions really bring it alive. And this book actually comes along about 18 years after the big book is written. And it was a series of articles that Bill Wilson wrote for the Grapevine magazine. And it ended up being culminated in what we now call the 12 steps and 12 traditions. So in the forward, we're not going to go through the whole forward, but there are things about it that are really important to remember. And for the very first thing and something we want to wrap our heads around is this idea here that the 12 steps are a group of principles, things that never change principles, principles you can think of as groups of laws, you know, that simply don't change. Water, for instance, will always find its level. Gravity doesn't care who you are to hold you down to the earth. Those are principles. These principles are spiritual in their nature, which means they have to do with your mind and your state of being. You know, how do you feel? How are you thinking? And resultantly, how are you acting? Spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life. So this is where I want to bring an idea to you. When we practice something, we are building in our skill and knowledge. Bill Wilson often says, in our understanding and experience. So if we're going to practice something in AA, we want to build in our understanding and experience. And these spiritual tools, these spiritual principles that are in the steps aren't things that we exert our will into. And they aren't things that we deliberately bring to mind under certain circumstances. One of the things that I like to do in early sobriety was kind of compartmentalize the different elements of my life and think, oh, this is a step two problem or this is a step three problem. And we get to that 12th step and it's going to say, practice this stuff in all our affairs, right? So I want to offer this idea to you. You might say, I need to work a particular step or I need to work the steps. And that, of course, is false. I know, I know. And the reason why I say that is this. When I practice these principles, it is the step working me. It's the step working me. It's a lot like a soccer player who practices the control of the ball all the time. And then one day he's walking down the street and he trips over the curb. Because he had all that foot practice, he was ready to catch himself when he tripped. His feet automatically did the thing they're supposed to do. He didn't have to apply some technique mentally. He didn't exert his will into it. It was intuitive. That's what we're going for here. We want the steps to change you. We want the steps to change how you think. We want the steps to change how you feel. 
the steps will change how you act consequently. So keep that in mind. You do not work the steps. The idea is the steps get into you and into your life. They are practiced as a way of life. Because if we do, as the sentence goes on, the steps, practicing the steps as a way of life, practicing the steps as spiritual principles can expel, expel, get rid of, be completely gone forever, the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. That's what we're after. So that's a big chunk to bite right there. And I know that flies in the face to stuff that you, me, everybody says kind of in those meetings of ours. However, if you want to do it, you want to think of it as the steps are going to change you. So get all the way into these things as we go along. And as we start today, we are on step one, which picks up on page 21 of all places in this book. Uh, something in the table of contents you might want to do is also and they make great discussion topics at meetings, is to read those footnotes or those bullet points that occur under each of the title, title headings of the chapters. Anyway, step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. And for starting off, we want to decide who we is. We are the people of AA that have worked these steps, these principles, into a way of life and consequently have successfully stayed sober long-term and have experienced a happy, joyful, free life that it promises. It's those we. So if that's what you're after, this is who you want to listen to. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. And it goes on. Who cares to admit complete defeat? I know I don't. Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. Personal powerlessness. We want to remember that because we're talking about alcohol right now and not anything else, but we will discover it amongst many things. It is truly awful to admit that. Glass in hand, we, we, we have warped our minds, not the alcohol. We, you as the individual drinker, have warped your mind. We have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence, which is like a religious act or a spiritual act, something from God, can remove it from us. No other kind of bankruptcy is like this one. Alcohol now becomes the rapacious creditor. Rapacious means unrelenting. Leads us of all self-sufficiency and all will to resist its demands. Once this stark fact is accepted, our bankruptcy as going human concerns is complete. Once the stark fact is accepted, our bankruptcy as going human concerns is complete. Not until the fact is accepted that you are trying to pay an unpayable debt to King Alcohol. You cannot possibly capture where you're trying to go. And that comes out a lot of different ways. For me, it was more of a, a desperation. I, I couldn't drink enough. I was drinking myself into bad physical condition. For some people, it's that sense of ease that alcohol delivers, and they get comfortable and social again, and it doesn't work. They, they flash right through maybe a moment of that and get angry and bitter and isolate and find reasons to leave. For other people, it's this hidden thing. 
you know, they're, they're constantly drinking and hiding it from everybody and they think they're getting away with it. And then they begin to discover that maybe they weren't getting away with it. And it goes on. But upon entering AA, we soon take quite another view of this absolute humiliation. We perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength. Whew, utter defeat. You got fight left in you. We may not be ready for you and you not ready for us. Our admissions of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. It is the humiliation, the gift of desperation, that incomprehensible demoralization, the proverbial rock bottom that is necessary in order for us to stand back up. That's the firm bedrock we're looking for. That's the rock and rock bottom. We know that little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA unless he has first accepted his devastating weakness and all its consequences. Woo! I don't want to so much for powerlessness. Now I'm weak? What? Anyway, until he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious of real happiness. He will find none at all. So I'll say this. A lot of us showed up humbled by the world. I, I couldn't humble myself. I didn't humble myself. I showed up an angry, arrogant alcoholic. In any case, it wasn't long until I experienced some of that humbling. Proved beyond doubt by an immense experience, this is one of the facts of AA life. You guys ready? The principle that we shall find no enduring strength until we first admit complete defeat is the main taproot. It's the key thing. If you can't do it, you can't do AA. Is the main taproot from which our whole society has sprung and flowered. Success from defeat. When first challenged to admit defeat, most of us revolted. We had approached AA expecting to be taught self-confidence or, you know, maybe to learn how to drink, right? Then we have been told that so far as alcohol is concerned, self-confidence was no good whatever. In fact, it was a total liability. How many folks out there in this world believe that with AA's help, they can quit? With AA's help, they can quit. That's you working the steps. That's not the steps working you. Here we go. Our sponsors declared that we were the victims of a mental obsession so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower could break it. No amount of human willpower. Keep that in mind. That's your human power as well, come to mind. This was, they said, no such thing as the personal conquest of this compulsion by the unaided will. Relentlessly deepening our dilemma, our sponsors pointed out our increasing sensitivity to alcohol. An allergy, they called it. The tyrant alcohol wielded a double-edged sword over us. First, we were smitten by an insane urge that condemned us to go on drinking, and then by an allergy of the body that ensured we would ultimately destroy ourselves in the process. Have you been doing that? Have you been destroying yourself, whether it be relationally, all your relationships are gone? Have you been destroying yourself professionally? Have you been destroying your own physical health? Have you been destroying your finances? There's lots of ways that we destroy ourselves. Few indeed were those who, so assailed, had ever won through in single-handed combat. 
it was a statistical fact that alcoholics almost never recovered on their own resources. And this had been true, apparently, ever since man had first crushed grapes. So it's not anything new, is it? You're, you're not unique. In AA's pioneering time, none but the most desperate cases could swallow and digest this unpalatable truth. Even these last gaspers often had difficulty in realizing how hopeless they actually were. But a few did, and when these laid hold of AA principles, here we go, with all the fervor with which their drowning seas life preservers. Picture that in your mind. You run across the guy in the middle of the ocean, and he's drowning. How fast is he going to go after the life preserver? Does he have conditions like the color of the life preserver needs to be different? The shape. It's not floating enough. The person on the end, he's not doing With that guy pulling me in, I'm not grabbing this life preserver. That guy's a total jerk. I'm not doing it. With that lady here, with these people here, I mean, some sort of God thing, you know? Are you kidding me? I'm not touching that life preserver. That's ridiculous. I'll just drown. Some of us have taken that very attitude. Some of us fail to understand the idea of crisis. And our crisis comes with, well, conditions. I'll be saved if. I'll be saved when. Because we're so full of fear and we cannot do what's laid before us. That we just can't get that humility it talks about being important. So let's read that again. It says, with all the fervor with which the drowning sees life preservers, they almost invariably got well. So if you just don't worry about the color of the life preserver or the shape of the rope or how big the life preserver is or who's pulling you in or if the boat's the right boat, I know that's all metaphoric, but you get the idea. If you can drop your opinion of all this, humble yourself to just following these directions, you can achieve this amazing result. That is why the first edition of this book, Alcoholics Anonymous, published when our membership was small, dealt with low-bottom cases only. Many less desperate alcoholics tried AA, but did not succeed because they could not make the admission of hopelessness. Hmm. It is a tremendous satisfaction to record that in the following years, this changed. Alcoholics who still had their health, their families, their jobs, and even two cars in the garage began to recognize their alcoholism. And that's a different type of hopelessness. It's not the humiliation hopelessness necessarily. It's the understanding that it's not getting better. They are unable to control it. And being able to see through the eyes of others or through some other way that it's not going to get better. They cannot stop the freight train that's about to hammer the side of the mountain. And instead of going into the side of the mountain, they decide to stop earlier. It doesn't make them any less alcoholic. It might save them a whole lot of pain. He's going to talk about that. Alcoholics who still had their health, their families, their jobs, and even two cars in the garage began to recognize their alcoholism. As this trend grew, they were joined by young people who were scarcely more than potential alcoholics. They were spared. Here's the important thing. They were spared that last 10 or 15 years of literal hell the rest of us had gone through. Since step one requires an admission that our lives have become unmanageable, how could people such as these take this step? So he's going to tell us. It was obviously necessary to raise the bottom the rest of us had hit to the point where it would hit them. What? How in the world do I raise the bottom? 
I'll tell you how. You tell people your story. You bring them as far as they can relate to you and let them know the rest of the story. And for some people, that will be enough. By going back in our own drinking histories, your story, we can show that years before we realized it, we were out of control, that our drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. That's something we want to emphasize to these people. To the doubters, we could say, perhaps you're not an alcoholic after all. Why don't you try some more controlled drinking, bearing in mind, meanwhile, what we have told you about alcoholism? This attitude brought immediate and practical results. In today's world, some people would think that's completely crazy, Dan Dan. I'm not about to go tell somebody in an AA meeting to go out and try controlled drinking. I suggest you give them the 20 bucks, you know, send them out to do it. It says this attitude, this angle of approach, this way of thinking about it brought immediate and practical results. It was then discovered that when it, one alcoholic, here's the deal, one alcoholic had planted in the mind of another the true nature of his malady, his illness, that person could never be the same again. Woo! It's that powerful. It's that powerful. How many people out there have sat in an AA meeting and judged in their mind, you know, he's a real alcoholic, he's not a real alcoholic, and never bothered to take that person out to coffee or lunch or just stay after the meeting or meet them before and share their story. Hmm, something to think about, right? Something to think about. Because one alcoholic plants the idea into the other alcoholic, well, the future. And because the names in Alcoholics Anonymous change, the faces in Alcoholics Anonymous change, but the behavior of the alcoholic never changes because that's true. You may well be a prophet for this person predicting what happens next. And once they hear it from you and then perhaps go out and experience it, they may well come back and sink their teeth right on in. They may grab that life preserver. You threw them. Hmm. Following every spree. Following every spree, he would say to himself, maybe those AAs were right. After a few such experience, often years before the onset of extreme difficulties, thank God for that, right? He would return to us convinced, hmm, convinced he had hit bottom as truly as any of us. John Barleycorn himself had become our best advocate. The drink itself, the alcohol itself, the consequences of alcoholism itself is far more convincing than something we might think we share with somebody. What we want to do is pollute the thinking of the alcoholic. Tell them what happened to us, and hopefully they'll see it happening to them. Book goes on here. Why all this insistence that every AA must hit bottom first? Huh, why? Well, the answer is that few people will sincerely try to practice the AA program unless they have hit bottom. Yeah, they're not going to do it because this is a no holds barred, complete abandon. Give yourself all the way to it to do it at any cost. There's certain things we're going to do at any cost at all, whatever it costs us, marriage, freedom, <laughs> any cost, we're going to do it. We're going to go to any length to get well. Yeah, you, nobody's, you know, I don't 
think anybody without a serious problem woke up this morning and thought, you know, I'm going to radically change my life by completely surrendering to some foreign spiritual principles that require rigorous honesty. They're not going to do it. You got to be completely beat up. The idea of changing your character, of changing your nature is something exclusive to the desperate, whether alcoholic or addicted or otherwise. It is these profound moments in life that change the character of people. It's these profound moments in life that pivot personalities. We have the incredible blessing of that moment in life. And for those of you who are brand new to AA, this reading might seem like a big, difficult thing. And I would encourage you to blow right on past it and know this. All you got to do is follow the directions. All you got to do is follow the directions. It goes on, it says, the answer is that few people would sincerely try to practice the AA program unless they have hit bottom. For practicing, AA's remaining 11 steps means the adoption of attitudes, angles of approach, ideas, thoughts, attitudes, and actions that we're going to do certain things with our hands and our feet and our words. Attitudes and actions that almost no alcoholic who is still drinking can even dream of taking. Who wishes to be rigorously honest and tolerant? Who wants to confess his faults to another and make restitution for harm done? Who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer? Who wants to sacrifice time and energy in trying to carry AA's message to the next sufferer? Nope. The average alcoholic, self-centered in the extreme, doesn't care for this prospect unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive himself. Critical line, right? If you're brand new to AA and you're listening to this right now and you're wondering, I don't know about all that, ask yourself this question. Have you had the thought that if you don't stop, you are going to die? Have you had the thought that suicide might be better? I assure you it is not. Have you had the thought that you can't overcome these damaged relationships? I promise you, I guarantee you that you can. Have you had the idea of just thought into your mind by your own consequences that you are unable to quit. And this is just your lot. I want you to know that this next thing is so, so true. Under the lash of alcoholism, we are driven to AA. That might well be you. And there we discover the fatal nature of our situation. Then, and only then, with all of those thoughts, it's those thoughts that are the bedrock, the taproot, of your success. Hang on to them. Then and only then do we become as open-minded to conviction and as willing to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do anything which will lift the merciless obsession from us. So as you get into step one, and I really wrap your head around this, what we're saying is, are you done? Are you done? Not are you ready? Not do you want to be sober. All kinds of people want to be sober. All kinds of people need to be sober. You know, people say, it's not a program for people that need it. It's a program for people that want it. It's actually a program for people that do it. People that do it. That get into this thing and give themselves all the way to it so that the steps can begin to change you. Change how you think. Change how you act. Change how you feel. And take that self-confidence that may be really messed up while you're drinking and make it a great asset. And take that horrible past, that 
unbelievable. In the other book, it says astonishingly difficult problems. Take those problems and make them your greatest asset. Currently, they may be your only asset. It's those problems that brought you in. So let's talk about that. A lot of first step meetings are like, you know, about powerlessness and unmanageability, and they're coupled with a story. But what about it being a launching point? What about this being the finest opportunity you have been presented? A group of people successful in doing what you've been unable to do if you're a drinker. A group of people that are happy and free and confident in a way that almost seems completely artificial to the new guy in here. A group of people that can tell you that today, this very day, if it's your first AA meeting, this very time frame in your life, if you're just getting started, represents the finest opportunity you may have ever had. And the proof that doing these steps will change your life sits right in front of you at every single meeting. So have a discussion about that. How did the opportunity of AA become a better life? How desperate were you? And how does that change through the steps? If you're really into the steps as the tools of recovery, as a design for living, why are they important to you and how do they live through you today? I hope you have a great discussion.